Hey there guys, Andrew Baxter here. Welcome to the Andrew Baxter Podcast. And as always, I have riding shotgun with me, Mr. Mitch Olorential. Hello, Mr. Baxter. How are you? I'm very well, sir. Yourself? I am absolutely unreal today, actually. Glad to hear it. So yes. what are we covering today? What are you offering me? Well, well, we've got an amazing topic today, a really topical one, a very controversial one at that, mm. and that is initial public offerings, IPOs. Ooh, that's a good one. That's interesting. Sure. Many m- many of our favorite companies are going to be covered today. We've got a couple of stocks we're going to cover specifically, mm. um, and a lot of controversy. Indeed. Well, IPOs, what a big subject. And for those of you that don't know what an IPO is or an initial public offering, this is where a company that's a private company decides to go to the stock market uh, to raise capital, either to fund growth in its business. Also, quite often, if there's a founder or initial core holding of shareholders, to let them dilute down, take some cash off the table, I suppose, uh, and move on from there. And it can be very, very lucrative, or it can be a total disaster. So it's a, a red or black one this week, which Ooh, is always fun. Yeah, it is. They, and these are the best ones to cover because you either get it right or you get it really wrong. Mm, how'd you like those odds? Personally, I like to go a little bit more risk averse, but whatever floats your My program. man, we're teaching you well if that's the case. <laughs> Key thing here, um, as we've talked of previously, a lot of investors get sucked in with the prospect of turning water into wine and hitting that home run. Uh, and that quite often is something that you can see around an IPO. And we'll talk about a, a few that have been um, very, very successful and, and some that have been maybe less so, uh, and perhaps what the differences are. And how do you determine what the difference is, which I guess is the million dollar question today? Well, I, I guess it's, it's a really arbitrary thing, right? Well, I mean, when you're in the heat of the moment, a company's just listed, how, how do you predict something like that? Mm. It's, it's really tough. It is. You have to know that business inside and out to make any sort of reasonable judgment. Would, would you agree with that? Totally. Uh, and that's usually beyond the scope, and I don't mean this to sound in a disparaging or condescending way, but that's usually beyond the scope of most retail investors, and you're relying on the opinion of a broking house, which probably is earning a fee for helping with the IPO, so they're gonna be fairly positive about it, uh, and perhaps giving something of a skewed view on it. So let's look at a, a handful uh, that are current uh, this year, and this year has actually been, it's been an interesting Ooh, year for yeah. IPO. So what do we have, Uber? Well, yeah, I think I wanna start up our, our well, let, t- let's, let's go through a few on the okay. hit list, okay. okay. So Uber is one definitely Uber. to talk about. Luck in Coffee, probably one that not many people, unless you follow my stock recommendations, have come <laughs> across, in which case you know all about it. Um, Netflix. Netflix, not an IPO this year, but some of the characteristics of it, sure. we'll talk about that. Um, let we work. Can, we work. Now, there's a big one. That's in the news, and we'll, we'll do that one justice. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, the big one that's coming up, which is Saudi Aramco, uh, the big uh, oil producer in Saudi Arabia. And we'll see if we can understand a little bit about these businesses and, and give people that are watching this an idea of what to get involved with. So where do you want to start? You plant the flag, we'll go Yeah, look, let's start with the rideshare app that I use pretty much every Saturday <laughs> night, and that's our all-time favorite Silicon Valley but you don't drink, so why do you use rideshare? Oh, well, you know what? I, I don't like, take a night off, you know what I mean? Good man. And that is Uber. Okay. Mm. So what can we say about Uber? And I'm an Uber user as well. Um, I think the huge thing they have going for them is a competitive space now, rideshare. You know, there is a Hula and there are a couple of others that are in that space. Lyft, Didi, Ola. Yeah. Now, I think, um, that's right, Ola, there you go. That shows my level of knowledge of the opposition, <laughs> right? The, the key thing with Uber, what it has going for it, like so many companies, is that first mover advantage. Totally. It's the name everybody knows, and that's a very, very strong proposition from a branding perspective. Interestingly enough, this week they got banned uh, from central London. That's twice they've been banned now from being able to operate there. They're back in court appealing that decision totally. uh, over some safety considerations. But I have to say, um, I, I don't know how many hundred Ubers I would get a year with all the travel I do, and 
I don't think I've ever had a bad experience. I'm much the same. I think it's an it's a great business for us users. I mean, you get in, you virtually hail down a cab as such. You get in, and then you're there in five minutes, right? And it's relatively cheap, unless you're talking about surge pricing, which is a different story in yeah. itself. Well, I think that, that that's the thing. I mean, it's the technology that's evolved there. It's killed the cab industry in Australia. Totally. And if you're watching this and you're in the cab industry, I feel for you. Um, if you're a cab plate owner, you know the value of your plates have gone from two, three hundred thousand a plate to maybe a hundred, hundred and ten thousand dollars a plate, and it's it's been torched. And unfortunately, that can happen in any business if your technology hasn't kept up. And sure. if we take Cab Charge, your Australian listed company, as an example, Cab Charge had that market at its fingertips, but because it had such a stranglehold, a monopoly grip, um, it didn't invest in technology. And even when it did, it's substandard compared to what these guys have created there. And you know, take the cab experience, and I'm sure everyone's done it. If you want to pay on your card, there's a surcharge, there's a GST. Um, you know, you get a little receipt if the machine's working, and all the rest <laughs> of it goes with it. With this, it's emailed. People can see where you're at, safer. Every, everything about it ticks boxes. But has it really performed as a company? And that's what we should be talking about. Because, well, sorry, go ahead. Well. I guess the, the, the difficulty, in, and, and, and as an investor, if you own shares, this can be a, a very real uh, challenge. If you like and understand the business and you really like the business, you can become really one-eyed um, about, about it and, and not see it as objectively uh, as you perhaps should from an investment perspective. You know, if you've always held shares and you fall in love with them, you know, people tell you shares for whatever stupid reason that might be. <laughs> um, you know, but you've always held them, it's very hard to let it go. It is. Um, and, and, and this is the same. So if you love the business, you tend to love the stock as well. That's why you bought it. But that's not really been the way it's performed, has it? Put it this way, if I owned Uber on its IPO date versus now, I would be super unhappy. And I've just got to, I've done my research. As you know, I like to do my research working as an analyst, right? Mm. I love my numbers. You know, Uber IPO'd at about 45 bucks. It's now sitting about $29. 35% drop in a very, very short period of time. I wouldn't be happy, would you? <laughs> I'm glad that's a smart answer. Um, and, and, and herein lies the problem. Uh, a lot of people bought into it uh, because that's how it debuted in the market. A lot of retail investors and, and they bought in for the vision of where it's going to go and it may well get there. But at the moment it's grappling with an enormous number of challenges. Uh, the first one is being able to turn a profit. Um, you know, and, and understand that companies don't have to make a profit to have a very strong share price. So if we take Tesla as an example Oof. of that. So where's Tesla trading at the moment? About $330, $340? $336. There you go. That's top what, of my head. That's why you're the analyst. $336, <laughs> right? So we're at $336 for the shares, yet it hasn't made a profit this year. The last quarter it made $180 million, and I think the quarter before it lost about $450 million. Mm -hmm. It's lost for the year, yet the share price is at such an elevated level, which makes it very difficult for you watching this going, well, hang on, there's a company that loses money, the share price is up here, how's Uber done so badly? And I think we need to take a step back and understand what actually goes on with an IPO process. Uh, and so when a company decides that listing is the thing for it, and it starts working within the banking sector to get advice and they price up what the country company is gonna be worth based on its future earnings, then they establish how many shares are gonna be issued and then that works out what the shares are gonna go through for in terms of their listing price. Now that, that can be moved up or down, sure. uh, depending on demand. If you get something that's massively oversubscribed and that can ratchet prices up as well. And so you end up either getting fewer shares or you pay more for them. Um, in this one, this would have been a hot potato for the bankers that listed it because you know, it's, a, it's a company that everyone knows and most people that use it love. And, and you can see the vision, which is terrific. Um, you know, you're giving people the ability to earn a second income. Uh, maybe they should be paid more, and I think they probably should be. I'd be prepared to pay more, certainly, for, for the service I get because totally. it doesn't need to be discounted because the service is excellent. It it's, is. It's, it's not a price decision, it's a service decision. Sure. Um, 
But um, you know, so so you know, there there are some challenges in there in terms of the rates and wages that people are earning in there. Um, the company's not making a profit. There tends to be uh, more of a proliferation of bad news, and I think that's more. Uh, perhaps some seeded comments in the media where people want this sort of business to fail in favour of the lobbying that goes on with the cab industry. Call me cynical believing that, but I'd say there's a there's a. Well, you are shred old, so truth. I don't blame you for being older, cynical. Older, not older. <laughs> come on. And, um, you know, with, with those sorts of things, you know, they weigh heavily on, on the company. But it is a game changer. It is a disruptor, and, it, and, it's, and it's doing incredible things. Um, but, yeah, share price-wise, how do you establish um, what IPO is good and what isn't, which is what we're talking about today, and that's very, very hard, and you can't really get an idea on that because your perception of what the business is about versus the markets can be two very, very different things. It's one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of trading IPOs. I like trading them post-IPO sure. when the dust has settled and you've got an idea of where demand is in the market, perhaps you've got some technical data to back it up, uh, and so on and so forth, and you can start to move through that. And We'll, we'll talk of lucky and coffee in a, in a few moments' time. Um, but um, that is the danger of blindly buying in uh, to an IPO because you are a price taker. Are you taking whatever it ends up spewing out the pipe out? And that could be a very bad price for you, or it could be very good when they perform very well. But this year has certainly been the year of not-so-hot IPOs. Yeah, bad sure. IPOs, that's for mm. sure. Yeah. So Lucky and Coffee, I know mm. that's one of your all-time favourites to have a chat about in recent. <laughs> I know you've got yeah. a fairly strong view on it. Yeah. So maybe explain to us exactly what the situation was. What's going on with Lucky okay, and Coffee? Okay, so Lucky and Coffee, Chinese company, it's the big competitor of Starbucks in China. And Starbucks, you know, it's only got 30 stores here in Australia. It's got, you know, 3,500, 4,000 in China, 8,000 or so in the US. Um, China is its big market, big growth market for Starbucks. Luckin has come in to take some of that market share, including things like, and I don't know how you do this in places like Shanghai, but they would do, like Uber Eats, they do um, um, delivered coffee. I don't know how you do that because the traffic's so bad, but you can get it apparently, and that's the way they go. So You get it cold though, right? Yeah, you want nice coffee or maybe one of those pearl teas yeah. or something like that might be a better option. Now, when it listed, it listed around 20 bucks, and it had a big sag down to about $17, and we were calling that on a, on a break back up 18 through 20 uh, was their target sitting up at 27, 28 bucks right now because it is making inroads on Starbucks, which is a proven business, and it's starting to nibble into that market share and those sorts of things. It's almost like, um, and this is no disrespect to Luckin Coffee because it's a very good business. Um, there's, do you know what an Amora fish is? Personally, I don't know. Okay, so an Amora fish, when you get a big fish, sometimes you get those little fish that swim alongside it and they right. feed on the parasites. Yeah, on it, yeah. Right? That's okay. an Amora fish. Okay. And so the big fish is making its channel. And then you've got this little one that's just slipstreaming inside it. Right. In a way, I think you know, Luckin's success uh, is potentially coming in on the back of where the shortcomings of Starbucks could be. And remember, with trade wars between China and the cool. US, some problems for Starbucks are not out of the question. You know, there's a difficulty in there for them. So Luckin has come in really nicely on the coattails uh, of that. Uh, and as a consequence, I, I really like its business, it's, and, it, and, it's, and it's growing nicely, which is, which is great. So yeah, that's Luckin Coffee. Well, wow. now let's flip that upside down mm. and talk about maybe not a great business. And that's the all-time favorite of WeWork. <laughs> now, WeWork, for those of you who don't know, is essentially a business built upon that whole millennial take photos, look really nice, all white, nice aesthetic type vibe. It's a shared office space where you can kind of go in there and rent a space to work mm. in a collaborative, collaborative area. Mm. What happened financially with its IPO? Yeah, well, it didn't IPO because the numbers didn't stack up. Uh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? And and I think sometimes when you have a, a concept, and it's been a business that's been around for quite some time, this idea of shared workspace, I've used it myself, particularly when I've been in Hong Kong, it's nice to have a workspace sure. to, to get stuck in. Uh, and, you know, there's internet and you know, there's a little bit of energy and atmosphere around you. Um, but as a business, yeah. So when a company lists as an IPO, the idea is that they produce a prospectus, 
uh, and this is to say, look, this is the money we're intending to raise, and this is how we're intending to spend it. At least that's the case here in Australia, and, and equally so in the US. And in the case of WeWork, the IPO was to raise money to keep its wheels turning. And it's very different to what the prospectus had to say. Look, they might sue us. I don't know if they'll be in business long enough to sue <laughs> us for that comment, but you know, it's our opinion and we're entitled to it. Sure. Um, I think what's, what's gone on subsequently has shown that the projections were unlikely to be realistic. Um, I don't understand why the CEO has been paid a multi-billion dollar Payout for his shares in a business. What was it valued at for the IPO? What were they tilting the numbers at? I mean, so you get across these. So you tell yeah, me. sure. So the company was initially meant to be valued at about forty-seven billion. Forty-seven billion. Okay. Now Keep a number going. of months later, that number has dropped down to just ten billion, mm. which is a significant drop. Yeah, that is a significant drop. That is. A, I just wanted to have that dramatic pause there because that <laughs> is thirty-seven billion dollars. Yeah, that's a about, lot. That's about a 76% drop in uh, its valuation like that because it didn't get to IPO and it probably won't survive as a business without a significant capital injection. Now, they're very fortunate in that they've got a Japanese sponsor, the investment bank that seeded the capital and they're effectively m reversing into that business sure. to take over. But their exposure is absolutely colossal in a business that's been shown maybe not to be able to stand on its own two feet. And the idea of a business, uh, particularly for shareholders getting into it, you want a business uh, that, that's got either some intellectual property, some IP, not to be confused with IPO, but IP, sure. um, sales history and profitability, a vision for where it's going, or some growth mindset. The, the, the growth mindset has to be in there for sure, and, and a realistic growth mindset. Sure. As an entrepreneur and any entrepreneur watching this, will have, you've always got a great expectation that next year is always better than the previous year. That's totally. why, you, why you're an entrepreneur. Uh, and if your business plan is right, it is, and that's how it should be. Um, but with that company, yeah, it's really hard to see how it's met any of those criteria. You know, if you if you own some IP, some technology, for example, if you make chips or you've got a computer game or you've developed an antivirus or blood testing or whatever it may be, there's some value in that business. Sure. When it's shared space that's contingent on people walking in the door, and, and you could argue the same thing may be the case if Airbnb ever gets to a listing stage too. Uh, and that's very tricky because yeah, if we talk about Airbnb for a moment, legislation, tax law, all that sort of thing um, is really maneuvering around to, to provide quite a headwind for that kind of business. You know, so if you're an airbnb -er, um, expect if you haven't received it already, a letter from the tax office asking you to declare your income, which is fair enough. If it's income, you've got to declare it. Sure. If you've earned it out of your primary place of residence, be careful because you might end up paying tax when you sell that place. Or if it's tax-free and it's your primary place of residence, you can't get the tax deduction on the other side. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so you know, we work very, very grey model. Don't understand it, don't see the future in it, don't see why you would buy into that vision of having shared workspace because it's very here and now, as you say, for the, the, the millennial generation of entrepreneurs or wannapreneurs, wannabepreneurs, yeah, if we call it that. exactly. It, it's exactly that. There's a ping pong table, have some beer, that's great. But where's, where's the real business? I agree. Now, on the back of that, you can have companies that, that do have tangible assets um, but aren't making money either. You know, a very good example of that would be would be Tesla that we've spoken of already. Wow. So here's a company that makes a loss, yet its share price is three hundred and something, three hundred and thirty-six dollars. I'm sure you're going to Three hundred and thirty-six. Yes. Um, you know, there's a company that's trading at that sort of value, billions of dollars of market capitalization, yet doesn't make a profit. So how can that be? And the answer is really simple because there's a tangible product, and there's a vision for the company in terms of where it's going. Now, from time to time. 
the vision of the CEO maybe for most people <laughs> um, seem a little bit out there, but that's also part of the DNA that's driven Elon sure. Musk to achieve what he has. And you know, there's a guy I truly hope is successful with Tesla uh, and what they're doing because that is a game changer. You know, people talk about Steve Jobs changed the world. I don't know um, if you see people, you see a family sitting at dinner and all four of them are dribbling into their handheld device instead of talking whether the world's a better place for that. Don't get me wrong, you FaceTime, talk to your kids where you're away, all that sort of stuff is amazing. Totally. But here with something like Tesla, is something that truly can change the world with that particular product. And you'd wish every success in that actually happening, but it's a company that doesn't make money. The market though is valued the company at the lofty billions of dollar valuation based on the vision of where it's going to go. So, you know, even if a company makes a loss, if the vision and the tangibility of the product is there, the idea, the, the, the nebula part of the business is there, then there's some value in it. We work, I, I just don't understand. All right, now let's take that again. Let's take that a step further. Mm. A good IPO. What, mm. What's an example of a good IPO this year that you're a fan of? Got luck in coffee on the rebound after it's had the heat drift out of it. I think it's got some really good, um, you know, um, good potential. As, as I say, in that slipstreaming on the back of Starbucks. And sure. Again, that's not meant as a criticism by the business. It's just the, the nature of their relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look back at some of the crackers that come through, Saudi Ramco, there's a, there's a big one. How do you value that? It's a 1.7 trillion dollar IPO. It's biggest in history. I think wow. from memory, I could be wrong on this. I know back in the day when I was working in London, NTT Democo, which is the telecommunications <laughs> company in Japan, was one of the world's big, was the biggest at the time. So these things just get bigger. Mm -hmm. um, but again, here's, here's, here's a business that's sort of shrouded in secrecy in terms of um, where it's going to list, um, the revenue streams and so on, which are very vulnerable. We saw attacks on oil fields just a couple of weeks ago, and that can really put things into a tailspin. How do you go about buying into that? Is it something that's going to be oversubscribed, or is it something where people are going to be a little nervous of? If you're someone for example, uh, that has a human rights bias, whether you'd want to invest in that company is a question you'd have to ask yourself. Uh, not only is it in the energy uh, and hydrocarbon space, but it's also in Saudi Arabia, and you've got issues there potentially for you from an efficacy point of view, if that's your, your totally. mandate. And that, that's a, a broader and broader brush these sure. days. So, you know, again, it's something I'd probably be more inclined to see list and then jump on afterward, um, purely and simply from a safety first perspective and what you miss out on in terms of that initial pop, if it does go, you get pegged back in spades by being in a safer bet where you've seen the momentum already there and you've totally. got some known data rather than that sort of finger in the air hoping you guess the wind's going in the right direction. And look, hope's not a strategy as we know, right? It's all about the process and it's about sticking mm. to it. Yeah. And look, IPO investing can be, can be, can be very, very lucrative. I think yeah, if I go back in my history, I helped list a company called Babcock & Brown with the firm I was at. And um, yeah, as a company, we listed at $5, got over the 30s, actually ended up collapsing uh, sometime down the track. Wow. For, for a couple of year period, yeah, the share price was up six, 700%. Let's talk about one that's closer to home, that's current right now, which has been a beautiful IPO, and that's Afterpay. Oh, wow, don't even yeah. get me started. Uh, Afterpay Technologies. And, and, and if, we, if, we, if we take a look at the genesis of that business, it's morally wrong. We've talked about this in oh, previous totally. episodes. But it's a company that's up 600% since it's it, listing. Crazy, absolutely mm. crazy. And once again, built on on a great business model, maybe mm. not super conscionable, right? But a great business model. Conscionable chopped up into four easy instruments. <laughs> yeah. uh, fortnightly with your limit increasing as you, as you spend yeah. more. There we go. Um, so I think um, yeah, with that kind of business, you look at 
there is a tangible product in terms of the service, well, it's not a product, but the service it provides. Sure. But you can also see the vision of what they have as they're starting to take that technology and push it into overseas markets, US, UK particularly, which, you know, take the UK, it's triple the size of Australia. Mm -hmm. If we take the US, it's 15 times the size of Australia. Mm -hmm. And you've only got to get a very, very small slice of the cake, uh, it's actually 20 times the size of yours, you know, you get a small slice of the cake and you've got a colossal business and they've positioned themselves again very well and there will be other companies that come in and nibble away at that but just like Uber they've got the advantage of being that first mover advantage the brand name that's out there that people sure. know of and those sorts of things you know as a professional investor and you know I've been around this game for an awful long time they're the things that we look for that first mover advantage that established brand that credibility of product that vision for the future that CEO that might be just a little bit out there but has made stuff happen and totally. to a certain point in time. And and again, if you circle back to WeWork where you've had a CEO with a colossal payout and he's going to have a board supervision role, quite how he's going to supervise a board when he's responsible for a prospectus going out, which you know, hasn't really measured up when it's come to the, the, the appetite of the market, totally. um, it, it is really interesting versus a CEO that is tied at the helm and, and is going to see that journey through. Sure. That's a very different thing. And they're the sorts of things I think as an investor that you can you can buy into totally. is that commitment. Now we're coming to the to the end of the podcast. Mm. Now and once again, thank you very much for sharing your expertise. Mm. Now, as someone who's maybe looking to to sort of trade that IPO market, what are the, some of the last key lessons you would not warn, but just 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 you know drop in there just to make sure that everything's okay. Okay. Gee, that's a great question. Thank you. <sighs> Don't fall in love with the business, be objective. Uh, and from a psychological point of view, and I've spent an enormous amount of time over the years with a lot of my private mentoring clients working on the psychology of trading. Sure. And one of the big roadblocks for people is something called the endowment effect. When you own something or you're close to it, you always see it as being worth more. A good example, they try selling a second-hand car, and the mm -hmm. value that you as the seller put on it is much higher than what the market's prepared to bear because it's your car and it's special. You know, you had that nice picnic with the girlfriend by the stream and it was a really nice after. You know, those are the stories that build the value into the car which aren't there for somebody kicking the tires. Exactly. And the same thing, that endowment effect can cloud you if you find a business that you really, really like. Now, Uber's being smart. It's trying to move into other areas, Uber Eats and all those different things to try and broaden its revenue base. Totally. Tesla's doing the same thing in terms of insurance, particularly in California where most of its customers are, to, to, to have a vertically integrated and broad business. Very, very smart. But you can't fall in love with that. You've got to see it for what it is. And that's really hard to be able to step back and see it for what it is. And, and that's probably the hardest thing but one of the most important lessons when it comes to IPO. You might say, oh, I love the product. To other people, and why do you love it? Um, number two, um, I think you've got to be fairly candid in terms of your risk management because whether it's going to be a winner or loser on day one for you is absolutely out of your control. Whereas in most trades, you've got the ability to mitigate and manage risk in some way, shape, or form, particularly with what we teach. Sure. Um, and so, you know, you kind of, it's a hit and hope in a way. And you get it right, you could make some good money. Um, but if you get it wrong, um, you're wearing egg on your face. So <laughs> I would suggest that the post-IPO might be a better way to go in because you've had a chance to gauge. It's, you're not going to make as much money, but it's going to be safer, but you're also going to risk less as well. So again, those scales of balance, risk versus return. Number one, understand the business, understand what it does, but don't fall in love with it. Number two, um, from a risk management point of view, are you prepared to have the punt? And if you are, get in on the IPO, but if you're someone that's a little more cautious, and I don't mean scared, I mean just cautious and perhaps want a more solid basis on which to make a decision 
other than what the sponsoring broker or the issuing broker is going to help set the price at, um, then getting in in that immediate aftermath of the IPO, and I don't mean on the day of because that's where the euphoria, where the emotion really sits in totally. for other people. The other thing and the third and final thing I'd look at on there are what the lockup periods look sure. like for the people that are on the board or the initial shareholders in that business. Now, a lockup period is where the foundation shareholders in that business are not able to sell their shares for a period of time. It means they're committed, they're locked in, hence it's called a lock-in period, um, to not be able to sell their, business, uh, their shares. So their personal wealth isn't determined on IPO day, it's determined at a point down the track, which I think is extremely important to understand. So be very minded of when those lock-in periods end, and that can certainly cause some disruption on the share price as well. Wow. So there are three fundamental things to look for in that decision-making and have some wow. fun with it. You've heard it here first, guys. Here's the expert. Three valuable lessons and a great analysis of a couple of stocks. So any last words, Andrew? Look, IPOs, they're a great place to play, but I'd suggest that they should be more for sophisticated investors rather than someone's retail investors starting out. There are a lot easier places to play in the sandpit than that. That's more at the pointy end. The risk sure. is higher. The return potentially can be, but the risk is, is significantly higher. But it requires a different skill set than maybe deciding to buy, let's buy some blue chip. You know, BHP, sell some calls over it to generate some income, or maybe the stock's paying a dividend, you want to get in for dividend. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit more track record and history from which you can base your decision. And whilst the past is the past, you know, past performance no guarantee of future performance, it can give you a very, very good indication of what's there because you know, a leopard doesn't change its spots that quickly. I love that quote, and that's a great way to finish. Andrew, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your expertise, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. My pleasure, Mitch. Look forward to chatting soon.